I think with it also has been the movement to just say, I don't want to own hydrocarbons. One of our, our strategists wrote a note a couple months ago, Nate, looking at oil and gas and comparing it to tobacco. And I didn't realize he went and sort of re-ran the performance of the tobacco index effectively, you know, became to many people uninvestable in the late 1990s because of pretty well-established and, and better understood health impacts of, of smoking, but also the litigation rips that hung over the sector from 2000 to 2017 with reinvested dividends. That tobacco index outperformed the S&P 500 by about six and a half times. It's, it's not, it wasn't a small margin. So a space becomes uninvestable for a certain thematic and trades down to really attractive multiple, generating a significant amount of cash and funneling that cash directly back to shareholders of the company. And over the course of more than a decade and a half, trounces the performance of the broad market. You look at a dynamic right now where people are saying to me, I don't want to own hydrocarbons and the space is getting better. And so it seems like that might be a useful proxy for us to think about this group if you're not just at the outset in opposition to owning anything hydrocarbon related. Hello and welcome to the Stock Podcast. I'm Nate Abercrombie, the host of the only investing podcast that gives everyone the chance to hear public company CEOs and CFOs describe their business and provide the investment case for their company. However, not all interviews feature public company management teams. Every once in a while, I get the chance to interview industry experts, and this is one of those interviews. I'm extremely honored to bring you a follow-up interview with Chris Signolfi on, well, the current state of Midstream. Chris is a managing director at Jeffrey's Research. He's also one of the top-rated Wall Street analysts who covers the Midstream space. He's also a friend, and I personally hold Chris in the highest regard when it comes to analysts on Wall Street covering, well, any sector, but in particular, the Midstream space. He's an extremely thoughtful and well-spoken guy, and it's just really great to have him back on the program. During this conversation, we talk about industry developments, distribution cuts, and the self-funding model that midstream companies are pursuing today. We talk about investor sentiment, and we talk about the outlook at a pretty high level. Anyways, it's a great interview, and I really hope you enjoy it. I'll stop there. Let's get to the interview with Chris Ignolfi, Managing Director at Jeffries Research. Hey, Chris, it's so awesome to have you back on the podcast again. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, absolutely. Glad to be here. So how are things with you? How's work? How How's everything? Well, I, I, you know, it's a challenge uh, with with energy markets, how they are. You know, I think we we recently moved floors, Nate, but up for the last several years, we sat next to the uh, tech research team and the contrast of their markets going up every day and ours going down every day was was uh, difficult to contend with. But we're doing well. Um, <laughs> it's still obviously an interesting an interesting uh, space to follow and trying to do our best. We have had some changes recently. We, Jeffrey's decided to uh, cease covering the exploration and production space and the oil field services space. So our energy offering is uh, is more narrow and focused than it once was as a firm. And so we're just, you know, adjusting to that. But otherwise, doing well, team's doing well. You know, thanks for asking. Wow. I, I guess just with respect to the energy team, does that tell you something about just, you know, investor sentiment? Does that tell you anything about, you know, kind of where things are headed in your world right now? Well, I, you know, I think it says Nate, a couple of things. I think it talks about the flexibility of a firm like Jeffries to make commercially driven decisions 
uh, more rapidly maybe than some of our peer companies do. Uh, you know, it, I, I think from our perspective, oil field service isn't necessarily a full-fledged independent sector anymore. There's probably names within that that will carry on and continue to be relevant, but to have a standalone research franchise catering to it, I think our, our decision indicates we don't think that's likely the future. On the EMP front, it's a slightly different decision, still commercially driven. And I think the conclusion is that unlike the downturn in 2015 and 2016, we don't think that that space is going to be recapitalized in the public space the way it was you know, three, four years ago, that we can remain active as an investment banking advisory effort on asset transactions or company combinations or bankruptcy workouts, but that we don't necessarily need to cover the public players the way we did before. I don't know if that'll be a permanent decision, but I think that's a runway. That's a view that the management holds for at least the immediate and intermediate term. And that there's still a market for and a commercial reason to cover the downstream energy franchises. So as you know, we cover midstream, we cover refining, we cover gas utilities. And my colleague, Jason Gamble in Europe covers our integrated names. Um, we also you know, have expressed a desire to pick up names in the space that we don't yet cover, you know, some of the Canadian players, some of the liquefaction companies, and we still find support internally to do that over time. So you know, I, I think it's really a thoughtful approach to where we can commercially compete. And I think it's a Jeffrey's practice to constantly be evaluating where we are competitive, where we're not, and uh, adjusting accordingly. I'm not sure it's anything more broad than that. Yeah. Does it make your job harder? It it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. I think what it makes more difficult is optics. I think there is the contention when you don't cover EMP and you don't cover OFS and you used to cover electric utility and you don't cover that anymore, that in some way the energy effort is not a core support or core vertical for the firm. And I don't think that's true. And I'm not talking selfishly here. I've, ha I've, I've, I've had lengthy conversations internally about this. I think it's really just driven by commercial opportunities now and you know, for the foreseeable future and where we can compete, where we don't think we can. But from a day-to-day, -day, it I don't think it makes our job more difficult. It certainly puts more onus on us to pay attention to things that we might have just casually relied on those teams to provide to us. We did pick up a, a colleague of mine, uh, Tom Hughes, joined our team. Formerly, he was part of the EMP team. So he, you know, he spent the last six, seven years you know, building out a, a detailed knowledge of EMP the fact that he's now part of our team, I think we are, frankly, more in tune with what the producers are saying than we were when we were reliant on things being fed to us from an independent EMP team. Again, one that sat down the hallway from us, but not one that was as closely you know, intertwined as Tom is with the, the midstream team now. Yeah. We did have, we did have to, can we did cancel our global energy conference. So... Yeah, you know, that's maybe the one near-term drawback. I know that there were clients that we have that appreciated that that event, and um, you know we'll do something.
industrial teams conference next year. As so many energy companies feel like they're, from a value perspective, punished for being energy companies, and there may be an effort to sort of rebrand themselves, and the fact that so many are preaching capital discipline and free cash flow or movements more towards free cash flow, effectively metrics more akin to what industrial companies have, have long been discussing and been valued on. I think that's an effort to maybe present to clients, both corporate clients and investor clients, um, a forum that would be different than what we've done in the past and certainly what our peers offer. So it just requires a, a pivot and it requires us to be a little bit more thoughtful about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Yeah. Now the mixing of industrial and, and energy, I mean, as you rec- you probably recall at Janus, you know, we experimented with that, but it is interesting within the context of EMPs talking about the manufacturing process. Yeah, exactly. These paradigm shifts, right, Nate? I mean, you've talked about this on other podcasts I've listened to that, that, that you posted when different industries go through either self-identified or externally identified paradigm shift moments. I think, you know, U.S. energy is going through one of these. And so there's a retooling of, you know, recalibration effort of everybody involved in it as to, you know, what, how, how should we look at it now? Were we wrong to look at it the way we were looking at it before? Are there other sectors that have gone through similar transformations? What are the learnings of that process? And, um, and again, just making adjustments accordingly, uh, however we best see fit. Yeah. It kind of feels like energy. I mean, I'd love to get your perspective on this, but it kind of feels like energy has going, has been going through this paradigm shift for like four or five years now. Yeah. I mean, well, midstream peaked in 14, you know, we had the OPEC meeting November of 14, where they decided to defend market share instead of price. And that really led to a tail down in commodity expectations and commodity prices and commodity expectations, and obviously had a wider impact than I think people thought at the time. And then as you and I talked about, you know, a year and a half ago when I was last on, on the podcast, it, exposed a lot of the problems, certainly from a midstream perspective, in the structure of the MLP, of some of the abuse characteristics from the GP sponsors. And I think the cleanup trade that has occurred for MLPs, you know, a large measure buying back in the MLP subsidiary into the parent corporate, and with it creating a taxable event for a structure that was marketed as having really unique long-term tax benefits. It's no surprise to me that we're now without a, a home base investor group. You know, we, that, that process effectively, you know, alienated the legacy investor group. You, you overlay on top of that a pretty significant change, very rapid change in investor views of hydrocarbons, the environment, and the rise of sort of more broadly speaking, ESG mandates, and think about how you know an MLP structure in the energy in the hydrocarbon energy space fits within that framework. It, it's no surprise to me that it just takes a long time. If you'd like to continue listening to this interview, you'll need to become a member. To become a member, just visit stockpodcast.com. Members have access to all full-length episodes. And depending on the membership that you purchase, 
You can even have access to the transcripts. So just go to the website, thestockpodcast.com, and click membership at the top. Also, if you really enjoyed the music, you should check out Danheim. That's D-A-N-H-E-I-M. Mike at Danheim gave me permission to use the music for the podcast, and so a huge thanks to Danheim. And with that, take care and good luck with your portfolio.